All right. Next episode of Jug of Sip today, we are talking about Arnold's room. Could you specify a little bit more <laughs> instead of just saying it all creepy into the mic like that? Could you? All right. Well, look, on the show, Hey Arnold, on the show, Hey Arnold, the main character, he had a room that was just amazing. Anybody who's ever seen that show knows Arnold's room was just, it was, the, it was dope the, as fuck. I want that room. It was one of the best rooms on cartoon television history, probably in television in general. Yeah. And we wanted to talk about his room because we were talking about it the other day and we realized that the way characters rooms were designed in television, they were a reflection of how these people's lives were, just like in real life. So basically, you know, you had Arnold's room because he was he was raised by his grandparents who were better parents than most people. They had this whole boarding house and they gave him this whole like upstairs space by himself that they designed and had obviously custom designed for just this kid. We actually have a picture of Arnold's room that we found on ArtStation by a CG artist named Logan Sprangers. And um, off this picture, we can really describe this room. Because it's so, like a 3D image of the room itself. Yeah, and it's very accurate. So first of all, there is a couch built into the wall that folds out from the wall. Kind of like a Murphy bed, but like a sofa, like a fold up. Yeah. But it's all like, it's all electronic. It's all through a remote. Like he has it back in, you know, back in the 90s, that was high tech. You know, he had this nice stereo system. Yeah, he has a small little table that's child size. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's got a closet. Where he and his little friends can play cards and hang out and do his homework. Small little bed. It looks like his bed is uh, just sitting on a piece of wood or something it's like that. It's like one of those plywood things. You know how like that people use with plywood flats yeah. things to make beds? One of my favorite parts of his room I never got a chance to talk to people about was the little like built-in ladder that goes up into the skylight and onto the roof of the building. Yeah, for those people who don't, who don't know, Arnold's room is actually the attic of the boarding house that he was born and raised in. That they altered just for him to have this really dope-ass space. Yeah, it, it's, it's an amazing space. And it, it has like this cool-looking 70s wallpaper and, and the this floor. groovy-ass retro-looking clock. Basically, what, you know, and then you see the people who set this up for him, his grandparents. And despite, you know, Gertie being a little loony um, and a little crazy... They're good people and they're very loving to Arnold. So they obviously provided a nice sacred space for him because yeah. a room to anybody, like an apartment to us as adults, is the same as a room as a kid. It's a sanctuary. It's a safe haven. It's a place to go at the end of the day where you can just take off your shoes and listen to music and do your homework. And Arnold was a very lucky kid. It really shows you just looking at his room really shows and explains the conditions of why he's so optimistic. And when you see his room, it's generally very clean. And it's because it reflects back because even if a kid has a nice room and they're abused, they're not going to have a clean room. They're going to be depressed and stuff. But right. Like. Uh, Arnold's room is really nice and it's really well kept. It obviously shows that he was very grateful for what he was given and how his family treated him. And he takes care of it because he keeps generally he keeps the 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 room that he has very clean. But, um, you know, he 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 seems to really be enjoying it. I would. I mean, mean, it's a nice room. Definitely. I mean, even as an adult now, like if the bed was just a little bit bigger, we could live in that room. So, yeah. But Lindsay and I were thinking about this and we were like, you know, Arnold had a really nice room, but you look at some of the other characters on the show, like Sid's room. Oh, my well, God. And Sid, Sid didn't already have a very nice um, 
like family life and he didn't have a lot of money already. So Sid's room looked like he grew he, up inside of a drug house. I was going to say a halfway house. He looks like he lived in one of these apartments where 30 people live in, in separate rooms and share a bathroom. Yeah. And he like lives in like one of those with his mom or dad or whatever. It's very sad. And it's reflective to Sid because Char- this is a great way to bring up how we talked about what happened to those Harold characters when they grew up. We have complete. Yeah, we have total. So maybe we, have we should a, talk about that for a little bit. Well, well, with that, so with, with, that, with that, so we suspect that when Sid becomes an adult, he is going to become a criminal, probably a drug fueled criminal of some sort. He seems like he would end up having a really rough life because of how he grew up, and he didn't seem like he had a lot of people rooting for him and working with him. And he Unless he can turn around in his teens, he can't. You know, I don't think he's going to have a very bright future. And he doesn't feel like a drug dealer or anything. Like Sid wasn't really a smart kid, and you got to be a relatively smart human being to be a drug dealer. But he was more manic than anything. He was just he was Sid, stressed out. Yeah, all the he, time. He, he was too emotionally unstable. He was like Tweak from South Park. Like that was the closest that Hey Arnold had to that character. Are you sure? Because we might have been Chocolate Boy. Well, okay, yeah. And that, that's wow, a whole separate thing. That that, that kid grew up to be I a think fucking heroin boy is, addict. Chocolate Boy is more like the Towley of Hey Arnold. Yeah, Chocolate Boy <laughs> ends up, I think, growing up to be a heroin addict. Yeah, and probably a heroin mule for his addiction like possibly. he probably lets himself get abused for drugs he seems like that kind of guy possibly, possibly. but yes yeah, said said you know reflecting back to the you know the original thing about the room sid's room isn't very nice he obviously wasn't raised very well and i don't think he has a very bright future just gauging by that yeah just gauging by his room How you know he's being treated speaking of which because we actually because of craig bartlett and the show the pataki's never being greenlit we actually have knowledge of what happens to helga as a teenager and it actually is reflected in her room. If you look at Helga's room closely, there are all these affectations that are indicative of her as a little girl at a younger age. You know, I'm so glad you brought up Helga's room because I was about to say Helga's room reflects a lot like my room growing up. Yep. My mom decorated my room when I was five and let me pick out the wallpaper and it was bunny wallpaper. I had pink lace curtains. I had this floofy little girl room. Totally. Right. And then when I was like, a teenager literally a teenager i was like mom can i redecorate the room she's like well you picked out that wallpaper didn't you i was five miriam essentially like yeah and that's how i grew up helga's room symbolizes a girl who has a nice room but whose parents didn't even acknowledge the fact that she's grown up and she's so ignored she hasn't even bothered to mention it because she doesn't care about that shit right yeah it's it feels like it feels like her parents or her family don't acknowledge her past a certain point and she doesn't fully know how to acknowledge herself past a certain point. I mean, if you point. think about it, they didn't even listen to her when she was in preschool. Yeah. They just provided her the bare minimum of care. Right. Right. If, if you look at Helga's room, I mean, I'm remembering off of memory. Let me see if I can look it's up. Like a, it's like a lot of pinks and purples. There's like a rag doll thing hanging on the door. A lot yeah. of dollies. A lot of really little girl. Um, oh, yeah, it's pink. It okay. actually it's it's fucking eerie. Because it kind of reminds me of my room growing up, it's except a, for a little hearts on the walls. No, I had bunnies. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's. I had that same pillow sham thing, that pink blur blanket with that lacy pillow. I had exactly that, basically. It's a wooden floor, unlike Arnold's room, which is carpeted. 
it's a bare wooden floor as if it was a room that basically wasn't even planned to be used by the Patakis. They threw a bed in there last minute with some very general bed sheets that looked like they belonged to a different family member because they don't seem age appropriate for Helga. No, it probably but, belonged to her when she was a kid. Again, it was probably like my situation where her parents didn't acknowledge she outgrew that shit but, a but long time ago. But that's what I'm saying. This whole thing kind of looks like a patchwork of age inappropriate things. You got little girl things for Helga. Then you got things that look like they should have belonged to adult family members. You know members. why? Then you got because she also had Olga. She probably got a lot of hand me downs, like I did. So when you have been. A, this, looks like a lot of this girly looking shit might have been just hand me downs from fucking Olga. Then you got you got a you know green wallpaper with golden hearts. Well, some on episodes it. it looks purple. Just about the only thing that's in Helga's room that even feels like hers is the Arnold shrines that she keeps in the closet. The, like that, the ones made out of gum and stuff. That that her family systematically throws away that she keeps rebuilding over and over again. You know what's interesting? I used to keep I keep my my closet as a retreat sitting room right yeah. i put an inflatable furniture in there i would put love beads up and i'd like hang up cool like pictures from like magazines and stuff and i'd go in there and listen to music like it was my sitting room one of the things that i wanted to talk about regarding that was the episode with the abdicator one of the first things that eugene did when he felt like his whole world was shattered he painted his room black because it was a reflection of him and that you know that a child's space is their room yeah one of my biggest pet peeves with parents and i get it i'm not a parent but i just think this is wrong in parenting because my parents did this shit to me yeah by telling the kid that their room is yours and that the whole house is theirs and they don't have any because that does something mentally to somebody they don't feel like they have a safe place to call their own when i was a kid i had a similar i was forced to live with a similar dynamic with my mom you know i didn't i didn't always have a room as a kid because I was unplanned and you know my, my birth was very sudden so when my mom's apartment it just having two bedrooms when I was born the bedroom that I was eventually going to have was occupied by my sister at the time and for many years I slept in I didn't even have my own bed I slept in the same bed with my mom f- up until I was around eight ish wow, something long. like that um I had a toy box where most of my toys were kept and that was in the living room next to the TV. All of my clothes, I believe, were kept in my mom's room in one of her, her drawers. Um, then eventually I did get when when Steph moved out and things got reorganized a bit because my mom was using that as a storage space, too. In fact, there was a closet in there that I never really got to fully use as my own closet. Um right up until the point where I moved out. But when she, when Steph moved out, my sister, Stephanie, who owns a podcast, black bitch Chronicles, shout out to her. She has two podcasts. And, and she has wrestling in color podcast. So listen to both yeah. of those if you can. Um, but when she moved, I moved into that room. But the thing is, my living space in that room was very inconsistent because if one of my siblings, if it wasn't her, because I have five siblings, if one of my siblings came back, then suddenly my room would no longer be my Your room. Your mom raised like five kids in a two bedroom apartment. It just wasn't. Well, no, no. She she raised me in that apartment. They they lived because they were a lot of them were like adults and teen and older. Oh, that's teenagers. right. They would come in sporadically. But I'm just yeah. saying, like there was a, you know you're trying to feed uh, yeah. squeeze that many people in one little space. They, they were they were like every single one was in and out. It was never all of them in there at one time. I've never even been in the same room with all my siblings at the same time <laughs> really never not That's one time at most i've been in a room with three of my five siblings and not even for holidays that's crazy no we didn't know we didn't we didn't do family holidays but um yeah so anytime one of my siblings came back to stay over for a little bit sometimes this would last months sometimes it would last years but suddenly that room wasn't fully my room or you if, had, if you i had didn't no consistent space if i didn't have to share it 
I, I, I would be sleeping out in a different place completely. There was actually a point where when I finally did get my own bed because I got too big to sleep in the same bed with my mom, my bed was in the living room. And it was a it was a twin bed. I actually remember it. It had Tasmanian Devil um, bed sheets on it because my mom wanted to personalize it. She let me pick out the bed sheets in the in the. She wanted to make you stuff. feel like you had a little bit of space of your own, considering. Right. So I picked out Taz because he was one of my favorite Looney Tunes. Ah, uh, me too. Yeah, yeah, I love Taz. But having a space as a child is very important to how you develop and how you feel safe anywhere. Even to this day, I have this nagging feeling of never really feeling like I had a proper home. I've always had places to live and sleep, but home, having a home is a state of mind. Yeah. And that's a state of mind. I'm not sure I really experienced yet. I was fortunate because I grew up, um, upper middle class in the nineties. My parents had a let's see, two, three bedroom house. That was two story. It was very nice. Yeah. Um, my brother and I each had our own room and my parents had a room downstairs. My brother and I shared a bathroom upstairs. Um, but with the way that my mom treated me and stuff and the way I was abused at home, actually, my bedroom was totally the opposite for me. It was my safe haven. It was where I went to escape from things. In fact, I can say in full honesty, I think I spent 90 if I wasn't at school or forced to be somewhere, 90 percent of my life I was spending in my bedroom. Yeah. And I hid there constantly. I wrote poetry in there. It was the only place I ever really felt safe because my mom wouldn't really go in there. Um, but she was hardly ever home anyway. So I always just felt like it was the only place I really had to hide. In fact, when I got in trouble, uh, my mom would force me to socialize as a punishment instead of sending me to my room. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I even had a TV in my room. You also had so. You, and I had my own phone. So you had. OK, so you had that first house and then you moved. Yeah. So down um, the road. So my senior year of high school, my parents had been planning to build their second house since I was like probably in seventh or eighth grade. But they didn't get around to finishing it till I was like a senior in high school. And I had literally just moved in literally days after my high school graduation. Right. Um, they built me this really nice efficiency apartment in the basement. Yeah. And th- that part was finished before the rest of the house was. So I moved in a couple, like a couple of days before they did. And I literally it was right down the road. I could literally bring boxes and even carried my cat down the road. It was only a few houses away. Yeah, it was very close. Yes, yeah, very close, like yeah. three, four houses down. And Lindsay and I, well, Lindsay walked me to it a handful of times while I've been to visit her in West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, I've shown him like a lot of the places where I like, you know, spent growing up and yeah. how I lived. And I lived in that apartment till I was about 21. Um, and I, like, again, even though my mom was kind of shitty, that was really good that I at least had my own fucking space because I need that. Like, I'll right. go insane. Right. And it does reflect a lot when a kid has a sacred space. Yeah, for me, my room situation, again, it was inconsistent and tumultuous. It was a kind of situation where if I came home one day and something had made my mom angry, whether it was me or not, my mom had this habit. I don't think she does this anymore, but my mom had this habit of if she mo- if she got angry, she would move furniture around. She would yeah. rapidly clean and if she couldn't clean it, she would just move A stuff. lot of my friends' moms did that. In fact, um my friend um my friend JC, her mom did that shit to her. Yeah, so I would come into my room and my all of the furniture in my room would be completely rearranged. Uh, there would be stuff that I couldn't find I, anymore. And I genuinely think, unless you're really suspicious, like genuinely have reason to believe your kid's into some dangerous activity, don't go in their fucking room. And even then, talk to them first. Like, you need to... I know, you know, they're your kids, but they're not your property. Privacy is important for human beings, and if they feel like they can't have privacy as a kid, they're not going to grow up correctly. They're going to feel like they can't have anything for themselves. George Carlin actually complained about, in one of his comedy specials, he talked about how 
the baby boomers kind of had this issue with treating their children like they were little cult objects, like they had child fetishes. Yeah, I, and, you and, know, and they were I was treating them. That way. Yeah, they treated their children like they were these immortal, coveted things, unaging pets that didn't really have opinions or brains or identities or souls. And the moment they started like showing any kind of different ideals or anything like that, they were like beaten or abused emotionally. They were treated like shit because they weren't okay with being treated like objects yeah a lot of the abuse that came from that generation and that millennials to this day have been subject to a lot of us are fucked up because of it and gen xers because gen xers and millennials those are the those those are the children generally of the baby boomers some millennials had gen x parents i mean literally like when i was a kid i'm I'm not talking about even just as a teenager even when i was as young as an eye and my mom would beat me and i'm not talking like spank me like she would profusely beat me about the head and face because I didn't fold the towels the way she wanted me to. And she would pull them out of the cabinet and beat me while she made me refold them. Like that is how you treat a a person like a cult object. Expect them to have perfection all the time. My mom didn't, didn't do anything like that. She, her thing was more emotional. Like for example, I didn't, I didn't do very well in school until around high school when I gave myself a reason to do it. But again, that was the key. I didn't have a reason to do well in school because it didn't seem like anybody cared at home. So every once in a while, one of my teachers would decide to call my mom and tell her about bad grades I would have. And my mom would punish me by taking possessions away. Like one time she took away my Nintendo GameCube and, um, one of my sisters who was living in the city at the time, she had it over at her house way downtown on the other end of Manhattan. I was in Harlem. I grew up in Harlem. So, you know, it it was a kind of thing. And the thing is for me personally, I, to this day, I didn't think it was a well-founded punishment because the only reason I wasn't trying in school is because nobody cared. Well, that's the thing. Like punish your kids by like taking like video games, whatever. But if you didn't give a shit before, why are you acting like you care? Like I hated that, that a lot of that generation would try to play up like they cared more in front of people and put up more of a show than actually giving a fuck. But back to the room situation. Yeah, I wanted to get back to that because, because yeah. And aside from Hey Arnold, there's a few other examples. Let's talk on the really negative side for a second about um, shit. Um, I got an example that I've been stewing on for a while. Huh? Ed and Nettie. I was about to tell you that one, but I can't remember. I, I always get them mixed up, which ones are which. Oh. Um, it's Ed's room. The, the Ed's? Each uh, each one of them had a room that was... I know Double D's the one with the hat. Double D is the one with the hat. Ed, D, oh, so Eddie is... Eddie is the short the one. Short one, and then, yeah, Ed, Ed is, is the tall the one. One D is the tall one, yeah. So I, I mix up Ed and uh, with a single D and Eddie sometimes in my brain, because yeah. they, they look like they should be. Then I hear Ed going, Ed D, and then I remember... Yeah. But let's that this, that's one of the saddest. Well, let's go down the list. Probably so. You got Ed, it, the, the tall, stupid one, who is actually kind of a savant. Um, in a lot of ways, he lives in his parents' basement, and that's you know sometimes cool, but in his case, it's not. His room. It, first of all, his room is located inside of his room since it's in a basement. I believe there is a storm drain in 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 there where like. If it was, it was still like a literal basement. It wasn't yeah. like a basement turned into an apartment or a bedroom. It didn't have carpet. It didn't have windows. They basically they room. basically tossed a bed and a, a little area rug in the middle of the floor down there. And he just filled it with comic and books. And like a dresser. And that was about it. Yeah. Right. And it's like he lives downstairs. It's like a 
blight to the family. And upstairs, that's where Sarah lives. And here's and the, and the, and she and has a fancy ass room. Sarah has a very like extravagant room. Yeah. And I remember one specific episode. Now I laughed. Like if you were ever abused as a kid, you might have laughed at this because you might have a fucked up sense of humor. Yeah. But yeah. one time they were like, Ed, where's your stairs? And he's like, my parents took it to punish me. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, that's correct. I'm looking up Sarah's room. Yeah, right like, so, I mean, and when you look at Sarah's okay. room, she has a canopy bed. Yeah, Sarah has a canopy. Which ca- has was a, considered fancy in the 90s. Sarah has an all-white canopy. Bl- yeah, I'm, uh, there we go. Sarah has an all-white canopy bed. Her walls are pink. The door on her, her, her door is pink on the closet and the entrance. She has those really nice, like, lace 90s curtains that every little girl had that had, like, upper middle class fit parents. She has double carpeting. By that, I mean she has a fully carpeted floor and an area rug that matches the color of the floor. Her room is way bigger than mine was. She has a vanity. Yeah, she has a vanity. She has a little toy box. She has a perfect little 90s girl's room. And she has, like, a nice bookshelf and all that shit. Now, Ed's Ed's room... Oh my God! It's first of all, it's filthy. Ezra's it has filthy. a bucket in it. Yeah, Ezra's filthy. And it's next a to the washer. Basically, his the basement is larger than his room in the basement actually is. Look. Basically, his room in the basement is like a it's like a partition. Like they just put up. You could see from the wall that the wall was just put up there as just these random. It looked planks. like the '90s. Remember, like uh, not the '90s. You remember the '70s walls. Those really thin wood paneling walls yeah. that everybody had in their fucking dens in the 70s. That's what it looks like. Here, here actually click that that whole thing because this talks about, this is a good thing to talk about. Because we were segueing to this anyway, the abuse of Ed, Ed, and Eddie. How, let, let me just, I'm, I'm going to download the picture and then I'll open it up. Yeah, because it shows him okay. getting leaked on. So, yeah, so we have, oh, oh sorry. So in the, in his room. The picture that we're currently looking at is a picture is an episode where Ed wakes up because his bed is being leaked on. There's so much water on his bed that it was like there was a flood just on the bed. But really, it just rained that day. And there's no proper it's a really insulation. sad picture, actually. Yeah, there's no proper insulation over his bed and into the basement. So it's literally like they just walled off a space with some random wooden planks, threw him in there with a bed. He filled it with Next stuff. Next to the washer and dryer. Next to the washer. Literally, you can see the washer and dryer on the other end of his, of his door. And the washer and dryer is leaking and fluid. Has, and he has like a TV in his room and a small thing, but it looks like they just put all this shit down there to keep him entertained so he wouldn't come upstairs. He has a TV with a VCR. And if you know Ed, Ed, and Eddie, you know Ed loves these old classic horror movies, these terrible horror movies. His TV has an antenna on it but it's not hooked up to anything the only thing the tv's hooked up to is that vcr so all he can do is watch movies which i've lived like that that's frustrating right in his bed if if i'm looking at this correctly this is actually like one of those throwaway hotel beds it looked like they took it out of a dump this poor kid is so very and like they have he has a chair in there but it's all patched up it looks like it was also taken from the dump uh, like, and a lot of this furniture looks like it an was, old tiki mask looking yes, thing it's, it looks like stuff that they just found in the dump that he liked and unfortunately because Ed is oh, Ed he does have a window but it's a small little thing well that's not really a window that's no. like an opening to the basement and and it's cr- he leaves it cracked open because it looks like that's the only way he can get ventilation in there well maybe it was just a nice day too but either way it's really fucking like it's just sad. It's really sad. And now, like, look up. Uh, I think Double D had like a slightly better life. Well, I want to do Double D's room last because, in my opinion, I think Double D had the darkest room. So let's really. I don't remember room. it. I really don't. But um, let's see. Hold up. So Eddie's room. I found it, it was right here. Ah, here we go. So Eddie's room. Oh, it's kind of like a '70s pimp pad. Well, here's the thing. Eddie's room 
if you know anything about that show, again, Eddie had this obsession with his older brother. And That's right, he did. Technically, his older brother was the only adult ever shown in the show because toward the end of the series, his older brother comes back to the cul-de-sac to visit him. He, he kind of just, like, takes care of himself. Eddie's room looks like he took a bunch of his older brother's cool stuff and put it in there. Yeah, it looks like... It looks like... This literally looks like he got hand-me-downs from his Gen X brother. And, like, you got you got a round, like, pimp bed-looking thing. And I think it's cool as fuck. Yeah, I think it's a this, circular bed with a Honestly, I think his yeah. room is cool as fuck. He's got a dope-ass speaker system. He's got a cool vanity. Yeah. He's got a lava lamp. Actually, his room is quite cool. But you can tell it still belongs to a kid that hasn't been cared about because none of this shit is new. Well, Eddie doesn't... That's that's why... I, a disco ball. I had a disco ball in my room growing and up. And he had a disco ball, an eight ball. He has some... Uh, he has a little pole right there a with some 70s ball, not lights. a ball of cocaine. Yeah. And there's also a, a tissue paper, a, a box of tissues on the bed that looks like he spends a lot of time masturbating. Yeah, and he's got a cool like lamp. So basically, and it looks like a he got like a hand-me-down used drug. So it looks like he's got a decent room. Eddie's thing is always making money and doing scams. That's what he. This kind of room reflects that a lot. The thing is, Eddie, and, and if you look at the reason he does scams as opposed to just doing legitimate ways to make money is because. Eddie himself doesn't know how to do anything authentically because he doesn't have an authentic personality. If you and that's what his room says, it's a patchwork of just things that he absorbed from his brother who because abused him. Because he's the only him. person who ever took care of him. Actually, that's not true. His brother was deeply abusive, and he. But he's the only just, one who had. He had. He was the only though. one that paid attention to him. He was really all he had, though. That's all he had. And the two Eds. Right. It was just his brother and his two best friends, and that's it. Okay, so now now I'm gonna look up Double D's. Room. I don't remember Double D's room. I thought he was one who had the nice room, but I, it's been so many years since I've watched it. Okay, the, um, hold on. Let me just give me a sec because uh, his the, these these pictures of their room aren't very easy to find, but I can describe it because Double D's room was actually covered in labels. It was extremely clean. Oh, that's right. It was he had like a really anal retentive yeah double hold on double d's room let's see oh ah, there it is here we go got it it's green yeah his room his room has a green and white feel yeah every, you're right it. it is the most disturbing because when you said everything's labeled you're not even kidding so double d's room this is why i found his room to be most disturbing first of all double d is a genius and a scientist so he has an he has a table where he does work on so there's like a microscope on it it kind of is similar like there's similar stuff in there to what was in my room because i consider myself a bit of a now, science it's like, kid it's, it's like a skull it looks like anatomy type yeah, of shit and, and a, biology i had a microscope he has a microscope he has a skull in there but here's the thing. He he has a little chart of human anatomy on the wall. He's got an ant farm, which is a scientific kid's thing. He's got uh, the solar system above his bed. Here's what makes this disturbing. The door, for example, is labeled with the word door. Above the door says the word exit. On the door says the word doorknob and an arrow pointing on to it. On the chair, it says chair. On the lamp, it says lamp. On the floor, it's labeled floor. Everything in his room. Like, we're not talking bookshelves. Where like he tracks fiction to nonfiction. No. We're no. not talking about reasonable fucking labeling of an organized person. We're talking about labeling of a madman. Yeah. See, See Double D is a genius, but he might teeter on the. 
I believe Double Edge D. Edge of insanity. I believe Double D has some kind of complex OCD where he feels in order to control his environment or himself, he obsesses with being clean. He obsesses with concepts like he, scientific It makes him feel concept. like he's in control. It helps him feel like he's in control if he can understand things on a, a mechanical level or if he can clean things or if he can label things. One thing I think is funny, it says cactus is the only thing that's not labeled exactly cactus. It says Jim. Yeah, he named his cactus. That is, I know, but I think that's cute. Like, yeah, like, he didn't even name the ants in the ant farm. He just named the cactus. Jim. I'll, I'll be honest. If he could just cool this shit out a little bit, he'll be fine. Well, here, here's the thing. Double D is the text mark. This te- text mark. Textbook God. definition. <laughs> textbook, textbook definition of a classic neglected child. His parents only huh. even, his parents communicate with him primarily through sticky notes. He never really sees them very often. Um, he mostly just sits in his room and does science projects. Yeah, he sits in his room and does science projects. Mm-hmm. I think Double D is the kind of kid where he has very successful rich parents who are very responsible with their money, which is why they live in a in a middle class uh, suburbia cul-de-sac type area. I think his family had the most money out of the three Eds. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they did. But with within that, I believe they're always out. They're always working on something. These are these are hardworking intellectuals and they neglect their son and it shows in his which room which reminds me of my like for me my room was messy because i was depressed yeah but when i was a kid i i like was home sometimes days at a time by myself yeah. like i'd get checked on like by an adult at some point in between but usually my parents were always working so i never saw anybody yeah and your room is like again your safe haven in those situations so, so segueing into a different uh, Cartoon Network show at, with a, a banging ass room. Dexter's Laboratory. Yep. If you watch Dexter's Laboratory, you know exactly what we're talking about. We're not just talking about Dexter's room itself. We're talking about his lab itself. Now, Dexter's it's all part of the same thing. The reason they called it Dexter's Laboratory is because this show was about a young boy. He had to be no more than six or seven years old named Dexter. And in his room behind the bookshelf, he had a secret giant laboratory that he built. Which his parents had to be idiots because which I they would, were. Yeah, because like, well, yeah, they, they were like the prototype of Temmie's parents from Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah, but um, his parents had to be idiots because, A, I would, A, notice my kid doing weird shit and disappearing for a long period of time. And also, I would notice my electric, electric bill being extremely high. The layout of this house, essentially, when you went upstairs, um, there was Dee Dee's room. It, it was a hallway. It, it Actually, it was more like a pathway. I think the parents' rooms were downstairs. It was kind of similar to, to you and Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The upstairs rooms were, were the kids. Dee Dee's room was on the far left. And Dexter's room was on the far right. You go into Dexter's room, it's kind of boring, it's sciencey in there. And then behind, there's this giant bookcase. Then you go behind the bookcase, and there's this huge lab of the physics of which don't make sense given the, the size of the lab versus the house. I mean, it's a house. cartoon, so we're not going to read too much into it. And at the same time, if you could explain it away by saying Dexter was so smart, he found a way to defy physics and make his lab as large or small as he wanted. So yep. there's that. Um, Because they were like, if if you know anything about UFOs or aliens, they're actually stories of people who have gotten abducted. They've described the inside of the alien craft that they were abducted in as being bigger than the craft that they initially saw. And it's suspected that some of the aliens that had abducted them, they had a control over their physical space that allowed their the inside of their vessels to be bigger than the outside. So I think Dexter had one of those things, or at least that's one of my theories. And that's 
that's not going to be an episode. <laughs> that's not a Charlie theory. That's just it. No, and I mean, like, you that's that's a special show to you because you really like that one the most out of all the ones we've discussed so far. Now, now, there's not much to say about Dexter's room outside of there was a giant secret lab in there. He had robots and, and all kinds of shit. his idiotic parents had no fucking idea. The thing that fascinates me more is actually Dee Dee's room. Yeah, I like her room, by the way. Dee Dee's room is very girly, very 90s girly. It's very pink. It's yeah, full of it's very plushes. it's very gender role p- girly. Yeah, it's very heteronormative. It, it, yeah, it looks like again, like the way I grew up, a pink ass room with bunnies and unicorns and even, all that other and ballet slippers. Even the outside of Dee Dee's door has a pic- giant picture of ballet slippers on the front door. And Dee Dee is the only person who, in spite of the fact that she acts like she's stupid, she is the only person that consistently breaks into Dexter's room. So what you think she acts like she's stupid and she's not actually fucking stupid? I don't think she is. I don't think she is. Because put it like this, there have been a handful of episodes where Dee Dee had to collaborate with Dexter and some of his um it, some some of the stuff that he built. Dexter actually built a family based robot where it was a bunch of different vehicles that yeah, transformed yeah. together into like a Voltron type thing. Oh that's right. And she was really helpful. Yeah, next to Dexter, Dee Dee was the strongest pilot of them all. Yeah, she she I think she might be a savant. I, I don't think she is a savant. I think she's she might be just as smart as Dexter, but the difference is that she's not a slave well, to her Well, that's why she keeps going to the lab despite him telling her no. She's probably a sociopath, to be honest. Well, I don't know. You, you know what I think? I think Dexter... Here's what I think. I think Dexter keeps his lab a secret. I think Dee Dee keeps her mind a secret. It's There's no greater secret. If, if you're a very intelligent person and you're trying to, you know, take advantage of the world and you're the kind of person that doesn't want people to know you're smart, there's no greater secret than to keep your intelligence secret well, from the world. Well, especially in the 90s when people thought girls were just dumb and stupid. Like, we, we sometimes we played dumb to our advantage. And up and that's what I think Dee Dee was doing. To I an think extreme. She was, she was the extreme... I'm going to be stupid right in front of my parents and take advantage of this whole world. Which is why she gets away with so much shit. That's probably why. Because you look at Dexter and it's like, he's a very secretive kid. Mind you, he's neglected too. Nobody really listens to him. He's got sort of a double D situation. Yeah. But he was such a good kid. He's just wound up. But the thing is, he wears his intelligence on his sleeve. This is why you have villains like Mandark who knows exactly who, Del- <laughs> who, who Dexter love is. Mandark. Okay. But Dee Dee doesn't have any villains. We gotta watch Dexter's Lab later. Yeah, we do. Okay, I've been dying to watch it. So, th- these aren't particular bedrooms, but there are two, there are two cartoon homes I would like to bring up that are dope as fuck. Yeah. Uh, the first one I'd like to bring up is probably still one that was, I don't know if how popular it was for other people, but I love this one. Rocket Power. Oh, Rocket. Okay. I'm okay. going to look that up now because I well, don't remember. I can't Rocket find Power their well. bedrooms, but the thing is, it wasn't just their bedrooms. So Reggie and Otto, let's just talk about these kids for a second. They're raised by Raimundo, their father, who runs a taco shack, uh, uh, the Shore Shack, which sells like tacos and food and like uh, on the beach and like the, in this like... Um, here i think in california oh that's funny somebody actually made the shore shack in the sims good that's so great but, you know so at the kids house for example first of all they live near a pier next to an amusement park they have all this freedom to go surfing and skateboarding and their dad's always working so they don't give a fuck their house is a really groovy little house near the beach yeah they have a, a skate ramp in their driveway yeah they have a really cozy and nice house they have a dad that basically lets them do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Their dad has a best friend named Tito that's co-raising them. And despite all of this, despite the kids just being allowed to do whatever the fuck they want, they are very well-rounded considering like their dad 
still isn't like he doesn't let them get away with everything, but he lets them get away with a lot. And he's raising them as a single father. And with Tito's help, because yeah. Tito's like basically like their uncle. That's just his dad's best, her, their dad's best friend. Right. But they literally are so well taken care of and so loved that. And very respectable, respectable kids. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, they did some stupid kid stuff sometimes, but like, like Raimundo never let him get away with extremely stupid shit. And then yeah. you have uh, Squid, who is like the genius of the group, kind of like the double D of the group. I don't remember what his house looks like. Let me see. Hold on. I definitely remember Reggie and Otto had a very nice upbringing to the point where like they had basically everything they fucking need. Let me see. They even encouraged her Reggie to make her magazine and stuff. Like she had a very good. I'm not sure if there are many scenes in Squid's. I don't think so, but I you never see his house. But you can tell, but just by judging how how he talks and stuff like that, he's raised by very judgmental white people. Yeah. And then you have Twister. Yes, Twister's room. You see his room quite you a bit. You see Twister's room? I don't remember him. Yeah. But I remember Reggie and Otto had a really nice house. Yeah. Like, they had a very nice upbringing in general. Like, see, Twister's room, what did it look like? Um, Twister, I actually just found a picture of it a minute ago. I, I'll, I'll look it back up. Um, okay, Twister's room, Twister's room. I swear, there it is. Oh, his room was cool as fuck. His room wasn't bad. I mean, it, you know... You can you can tell his family doesn't have as much money. No, but it they did they did his be, they did their best. I for like him. his bed. How he has this like cool, funky looking handmade headboard. It looks like he did his very best to take cool odds and ends to make it a really unique space. Yeah, he really made it his own. It's it's a really nice. I like his posters and yeah. I like the show in general. I was a skater kid, so like I really enjoyed. Yeah. I wanted to be part of that California surfing life so bad when I was a kid. You know, that's what fascinated me about it. That's probably why I ended up not liking the show, because these kids were experiencing a level of freedom that I wasn't allowed to experience. Yeah, it kind of broke my heart. Bad. It kind of made me feel like shit, but I, I watched it to live vicariously through them. Because L- Lindsay and I were latchkey kids, and watching a show like Rocket Power hurts. Especially a father like Raimundo yeah. and Tito. Like, Tito's, like, their dad's best friend, so he's basically an uncle, and, like... Don't get me wrong, like, I loved this show, but that, you know, anything I saw where parents were nice to their kids made me sad. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be, it could be a pretty painful Now, Twister, thing. Is, Twister had a shitty brother, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, his older brother was a new He's abusive, a fucking psycho, man. Horrible, horrible person. But that was a good show. I like to check back into this one again. I think it's on Verve, isn't it? Um, I At think least it, it was. is. I think it is. Now, one, speaking of Nickelodeon shows, I want to talk about... Oh, wait, before I... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. House, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what was it? Uh, the Angry Beavers house. Oh, Angry Beavers. It was made purely out of wood because obviously they were beavers, but the layout was really cool. First of all, you have Norbert and Daggett's room, and they have these cool little bunk beds. Yeah. But the bunk beds aren't just bunk beds. They're made out of They're old canoes. canoes. They're, it's actually the same canoe torn like it, it's broken in half and then they took one and it stacked it on top of the other yeah they're like half of a canoe and they have like these really cool designs on them and then, they have a couch that's actually a sled with pillows on it and looks like a rolled up sleeping bags yeah they have this like really cool makeshift type of situation and the room is like the layout itself oh also i thought of another one too yeah, i don't yeah. know if it might be the same one but let's keep talking about norbert and daggett real quick yeah, their living right. room is really cool they have like this nice size living room where they sit and watch tv right right it's like, kind of it's it's a bachelor pad that's shared by two bachelor brothers that's how it feels and it's they got that yahoo soda clock 
It feels very man cavey. Yeah, it's it's it really is a bachelor pad. Like if you went over to the if like say if you met like these two guys that were like stoners, but yeah. one's an intellectual stoner and the other one's just kind of a dumbass. Right. And they were brothers and like you would come over house and smoke pot. This is sort of like the beaver equivalent of what you would expect. And Daggett and Norbert, they were very big on being free and leading their own lives. And they're they're they like being bachelors until you know until tree flower and being well yeah oh my god tree flower, <laughs> tree flower. that's its own that episode we got to do a whole episode about this show she um. Well, well, the the brothers are also very independent. They try to be very self-sufficient and they built their own house. They struggled to do it. I mean, that's what the whole first Actually, episode the was house about. built itself when you think about it. But but they were responsible for to, it. <laughs> finding a place to live after their parents evicted them after they had their second litter of beaver babies. Yeah. And they like tried living in a chicken coop and then inside of a truck. Yeah. Uh, they, they went through a lot to get this like accidental house and this Norber- accidental dam and Norbert's laziness really showed because he basically just didn't want to build a dam he just wanted to find a spot he wanted with to go a, chill with a ceiling and chill in it for the rest of his life first of all I love all I love both characters but here here's one thing that was one of my favorite parts about their house they had a little latch that you could open up and go right into the river oh so yeah so they could yeah, like yeah. fish there they could just go into the river and swim that's right like they had a really sweet hookup yeah, no, they had a nice hookup. Plus, there was all these secret rooms. Like, Norbert had the secret room where he would go in there to be a narcissist and shit. Like, I fucking forgot about that. Yeah, like, it was full of cool stuff that he didn't want to share with Daggett. And it was, like, the door. It was, Daggett didn't know about it, but it was, like, the door next to the kitchen. And like, I, it was that and, obvious. And I'm sure, yeah, because Daggett's a dipshit. And a lot of people don't, I don't know if people know this, but Nick Bacay does the voice of Norbert, who's the voice of Salem from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And Daggett does the voice of Zim from Invader Zim, which brings me to Zim's house. That's what I wanted to bring up. Yes. I am so glad. Oh, my God. Why are we always on the same page? It's so great. But Zim's house. Let's talk about first of all, before we get to Zim, I want to talk about Dib's house. Can we talk about Dib's house? Oh, Dib's sad little house, especially in the movie when you see how like how he fucking lost it. Yeah. Oh, God. Because his house is cool, but it's also like his like, oh, I love Gaz's room. Ga- oh, yeah. They- oh, wow. I found a picture of Gaz's room. Okay, so Gaz's room looks significantly cooler than Zim's, but it kind of looks like what Hot Topic used to be when it first came out. Right. Actually, Gaz's room looks like the room I wanted to have in high school. It's got, like, a little area rug with skulls on it, a sheet, uh, with, like, sheets with, like, creepy smiley faces. There's bats and goth posters and little voodoo doll looking. Like, this is, like, this is what teenage Lindsay's room wanted to look like. Now, Zim's, um, Dib's room, on the other hand, because Dib was obsessed with alien everything there's like he literally has a server sitting on a table next to his room his his bed, his bed is his next to his bed his bed is actually a little cot so there's like a space underneath his but bed his where bed he looks works. a little gothic-y too it is yeah it's, it's got these very sharp gothic it looks like kind of coffin-y and right. vampiric there, there's a neon um poster of Gl- the solar glow system glowing the, glow the sorry glow in the dark poster of the solar that. system there um and it's not that big. It's a pretty small room, but it's it's indicative. And also, it looks like he's not even in there that often. It's also indicative. It's kind of like Double D's room. It's like indicative to how his dad doesn't pay attention to him. So he spends he actually looks like he does spend a decent amount of time in his room, but keeps it clean because he does a lot of work in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Professor Membrane Dib is similar to Double D because he has a dynamic that Double D has with his parents. Because Professor Membrane is a very famous and successful scientist and neglects both of his children. And Gaz handles it differently than Dib. Gaz doesn't. Gaz, like most girls, is far more independent than her brother. Yeah. So she's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna go start some problems. I don't give a fuck. And yeah. Dib is just like, Daddy doesn't pay attention to me. Must do things to get his approval. I gotta catch an alien. Now that brings us to Zim's house. That weird, skinny, pointy house. That's very clearly 
a fucking secret lair for an alien. <laughs> like, there's, there's this running, there's this running joke between Lindsay and I about Elon Musk, and, <laughs> and we say that Elon Musk looks like a, an alien that's having a hard time fitting in his skin suit. Yeah, comfortably fitting in his human suit. Div's Zim's whole house looks like an alien that's having a hard See, time. See, I, I compare Elon that. Musk more to XJ9 from my uh, my life as a teenage robot. Remember when they created that skin suit for her and it looked like a deranged rag doll? Oh my god, that was horrifying. I think they actually stopped showing that on Nickelodeon for a couple of years. First of all, that show is like almost impossible to find, and I, I've, I've watched it on streaming before. I forgot where the it's fuck. It's on where. Hulu. I was to say I watched it recently. I forgot where the fuck. But it's on Verve too. I, I think. mean, it was hard to find. For it years, was, yeah, though, no, it was, and it was lesser known. But yeah, like when XJ9 had the original, because her second skin suit was great. Yeah. But the first one kind of looks like Elon Musk trying to fit in his skin suit. And it's the same with Zim trying to fit into being a human. Zim's like, yes, I'm a human. And it's like, you got a satellite sticking out of your fucking house. Yeah. Like gnomes out front that are clearly cameras. Yeah. You got a dog that is not a dog because it is green and it has a giant zipper that is clearly a fucking alien robot. His house is shaped strangely because it was actually built in the alleyway between two houses it that were already there. It forced itself between and fused. And there are tendrils, mechanical tendrils coming out of the walls siphoning electricity from the entire planet through the houses on either side. Can we talk side? about Zip's robot parents for a second? Oh my god. <laughs> that is such a fun Zim's robot parents were like the laziest they were the laziest parts of his job. He the didn't mom give had a- like overalls and a tutu the dad always glitching the dad didn't even have legs he just had one wheel <laughs> can you look him up for fucking a minute yeah. <laughs> zim's robot invader zim robot parents okay oh my god oh my god it's even better than i remembered so the dad the, the dad has a giant scar up his face where he was clearly stitched crudely yeah he has a very clearly robot arm and spine the mom is for some reason like the mom looks like if she were a real mom she'd be out of her fucking mind she's got a tutu with overalls on it and, and, like in dish gloves for, and she's not doing dishes and she's got like this crazy blue hair that doesn't make any fucking sense the robot parents looks like Zim looked up human mom and just took all the pictures and threw them inside of a and, random uh, robot generator and the creepy part is they only have two facial expressions either just resting face or they have this creepy smile they're like hi son welcome home yeah and it's like the fuck like dude you should just be like my parents aren't home like what the fuck is wrong with you making this shit right it, no they're and they always appear when you like ring the the doorbell and yeah. then like just he had this and again Gur. Gur is a great example of how like crudely he understood how humans work because Gur. well he didn't make Gur. well no let me explain that how he let, let me explain how Gur became the dog because a lot of people don't know probably. oh i see what you're saying so go when, ahead when, first of all when he zim was assigned Gur, they just gave him a broken sir unit to shut him up so he felt like a true invader they didn't want to deal with him yeah so basically they gave their worst invader the broken robot and right uh like the first, like what was the first thing Z- uh, fucking Gur says? He says some crazy shit. Like I don't remember. I don't remember. It's been a minute. Oh yeah, and he was just like he and he had like, he will he would fade in from that like serious Gur reporting to duty, and then like yeah, he would fade in and out of lucidity. Like he was like he was all over the fucking place, but he right. was mostly manic. Yeah. He was obsessed with he fast a, food, which is weird because he couldn't digest technically. He was a robot and he loved tacos as much as I do. Like, there's a whole episode where his brain gets mixed in with the fucking house and he makes the house walk to a taco place and destroys an entire city getting tacos. If that's not a mood, I don't know what the fuck it means. Yeah. So, Gur is a um, information information retrieval unit. Yeah. 
Um, he's he's an anti-hero technically, which is probably why I like him. Now, Gurr is a little like robot droid thing that helps, you know, Zim out. Yeah. But he, when Zim lands on Earth, he has to find a human-like disguise for Gurr. So, the you know, he's setting up this thing. He's like, I'm going to make you a dog. And uh, fucking Gurr is just like, can I be a mongoose dog? Like, he wanted to be a mongoose. And Gurr and Zim would not let him be a mongoose. Fun fact, one of the first genderless characters on Nickelodeon, because they never confirmed whether Gurr was male or female. He answered to both. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I don't think they ever refer... I don't remember them ever referring to Gurr as female, though, or in general like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, like, there's a lot of indications to, like, Zim not being a person. Well, yeah, because Zim, cause Zim had and a... And Zim's se- the only one who sees it. Zim had a secret lab like Dexter did, but unlike Dexter, Zim is an alien. He's trying to dominate the world, and he comes from a race that doesn't actually do the parent thing. Like, they don't do parental units. It's just... They're just like a sleeper cell of infinitely immortal children-like, children-sized well, aliens. And he was doomed from the start because, except for the tallest. Except for the tallest, but that's the thing. The that was tallest, about as close as the parents as they got. But the tallest were, they were only looked like adults so they were tall. So that was, that was really what was funny, too, because Gur, I mean, Zim wasn't just an alien that didn't understand human culture. He was also just stupid. Yeah. And he was very manic and he made impulsive decisions based on like rash ideas right. before thinking shit through. How many times has he almost snitched on himself? Oh, several. So, yeah. So many. So many. Like, so like sh- shouting out his own alien organs in the middle of the playground and shit. Like my squealy spooch. She's like, nobody has a squealy. What is that? What did he just say? <laughs> That weird kid with the skin condition said something about his his kidney wrong. Yeah, like he just he just does not know how to fucking fit into fucking human society. Well, he's an idiot. He's actually better at saving the earth than he is at being a villain. That's the fucking funniest part. So, were there any other like uh, cartoon bedrooms you were thinking about bringing up or cool houses? Or- yeah, I had one in my mind, but I can't remember exactly. There, there's the playpen from Rugrats. Okay, the Rugrats, actually, that's it's a good cartoon to bring up because I like to touch some things on that as well. Well, the Rugrats... Because we're, we're talking a lot about parenting, too. Yeah. And it, with parenting in mind, I hate the Rugrats parenting. Well, Stu and... De- let, well, let, let's go down the list. First actually, of all... Actually, let's talk about what's... You were saying what's, you know, indicative to how they're parented. Yes. So, let's... Stu and Dee Dee are new parents between Tommy and Dill. Specifically Tommy. Though. Specifically Tommy. Now, Dee Dee is one of these kind of parents that thinks that you can solve every baby problem by looking it up in a book. Which was very common in the 80s and 90s. Very common trait among baby boomers and, well, no, not Gen Xers, but baby boomers in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. She was obsessed with this child psychologist by the name of Lipschitz, who I am reasonably confident she cheated on Stu with. Um, First of all, I fucking hate Lipschitz. That whole episode, I just wanted to punch him in the fucking mouth now if you look at the playpen the playpen is in a very precarious place first of all it's the kind of thing that's easy enough for a baby with a screwdriver he keeps in his diaper to undo which how do they not notice that because here's the thing this is why i think Stu and Dee are shitty parents more Dee than Stu. yeah more Dee than Stu. let me explain why because Stu shouldn't like the thing is Dee is either she's a teacher, but she also works from home, like on weekends, and stays at home with the kids. And she's home a lot. Yeah. Stu's an inventor, so he works a lot in the basement. So it's really up to Dee Dee or whoever's in, or or the grandfather to watch the kids. Hi, Artie. Our Artie. cat, our cat just jumped up on our lap. Artie, you can't you can't be on the table right now because we're recording. Come here, princess. Get off the table, baby. Oh, ugh, come on. Big girl. Okay. Artie but, says um, hello, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, "It's about me. This episode's about me." So. So Stu's always really busy. Stu's, Stu kind of like, he's not a bad parent. He's just sort of like busy and kind of 
he's not very aware of what's going on. And it doesn't help that his wife is has her head so far up a child psychologist ass that she can't think with common sense to raise her kid. And Tommy's a smart boy. Yeah. So here's the thing about Tommy. He knows his parents don't pay attention to what he's doing. So he and this this playpen is barely a playpen. It's like literally a fucking accordion ring. And it, yeah, it kind of like, looks like what you what you would put as fencing around your plants to keep certain animals out. Or, but no, a or like even a puppy. Like this looks like you would keep a puppy in it. Right. Because um, a puppy wouldn't be really smart enough to break out of that. Yeah. The interesting thing about where they keep the playpen is it's not just in the living room. Because here's the thing. Now that I'm an adult, I really understand parenting better. And here's the thing. I would not have my kid or my friend's kids that far away from me when I'm in the kitchen drinking coffee. Plus, it was in a living room next to the the sliding doors that led to the backyard. Right. And here's the thing. The backyard had a broken board they weren't even aware of that the kid, the DeVille kids figured out how to cross in and out. If your babies are outsmarting you, you're not a good parent. Because here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I had a baby... And I had a house about the size of the pickles. I, I wouldn't have them out of my line of sight because not only is it in another room, but it's also behind where the door is, like the door frame is. So it blocks out everything. And the pickles had one of those surplus size, eventual foreclosed type 90s houses. Yeah. You know, like it was one of those houses that was huge because back then people were were, were buying big houses because you could a afford it. A fucking failed toy inventor and a school teacher wife can afford it. Right. But here's the thing. So... If I had a baby and that, you know, my fr- friends had their kids over, I would have the playpen like either in the kitchen next to the table because their kitchen was big enough to do that. Yeah. Or I would have them like right outside the fucking door where I could see them because they're like, if you can see in this photo here that we're looking at, yeah. they're pretty fucking far. And they're like, like, again, it's right against the sliding glass door. And Angelica's tall enough to open that door and she's a psychopath. So like. Plus the kitchen, the layout of the kitchen. Typically, Dee Dee spends a lot of the time around like the stove and refrigerator when she's eating. Or I mean, when the she's table, reading. Yeah. yeah. And then she stands by the table when she's drinking coffee with the, the you know. But that, that area is not even remotely visible to the babies. No, not even. And these are little kids. These are kids. No, the oldest one is three. And you can't expect a three year old to babysit their little cousins and shit. But they do. They do. They literally they expect Angelica they just to leave watch. Angelica and she's a psychopath. And here's the thing. Any parent with a brain, which obviously Dee Dee Pickles does not have or even Stu picks up on. If my if I had a niece that acted like Angelica the way she did, I would never let her be alone with my kid. But that's what made Angelica so dangerous because she was outsmarting the adults every step but of the way. But even then, if you're aware enough of that shit, like I, I, I could see right through that. Like, I, if I had a niece or nephew that was doing that, I'd be like, there's something fucking wrong with you. Like, right? Like, yeah. And, like, Dee Dee didn't even have a clue. But as far as the other parents go, it, the pickles were, like, the shittiest, as far as I'm concerned. And that also goes for Charlotte and Stu. Oh, my now, God, Charlotte. Here's the thing. Stu, I think Stu's the worst. And let me explain. Uh, not Stu, I'm Drew. Drew. Charlotte and Drew. I think Drew's the worst. Let me explain why. Charlotte is at that early uh, phase before intersectional feminism happened. Yeah. So she she was trying too hard. Like she was trying to break into that fucking corporate world she, thing. She was in. The, she was 80s feminist. She was in that feminist wave where they believed that the solution for all women across America was pointless careerism, which essentially was a version of feminism that thought copying the most toxic traits of the men that oppress them in the first place was the way that they would get their freedom. Now, let me explain. I'm going to get to where I think Drew's the worst. So this, so Charlotte sometimes had some toxic ideas about feminism or how to like, you know, approach it. However, I think her intentions were very good. 
Like there's one quote where it was like she was like if if Angelica wants to get anywhere in this world, she's got to have to eat, breathe and drink self-esteem or sweat self-esteem. I get exactly what she was trying to do. Yeah, I totally do as well. And I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, if Angelica actually had a better father, that might actually work out. Let me tell you why it doesn't work out. Charlotte's career intense. She doesn't spoil Angelica on purpose. Charlotte doesn't. No. Charlotte does it because she feels guilty because she works so fucking much that she wants to give her daughter as much in the world as possible. She doesn't spoil Angelica on purpose. Drew does. Drew does. Drew does it to buy her love. Charlotte doesn't. Charlotte is just like, I'm sorry, I'm not really here. I'm not trying to buy your love, but I just want you to know you you can have anything in the fucking world you want. You're a powerful woman. You know, she did it to try to get Angelica to be a bad bitch. That's all she wanted to do. But Angelica is a bad kid instead, because Drew will just be like, oh, you could have anything you want, pumpkin. And I'm like, fuck you, man. Well, between Drew and Stu, you could clearly see that Stu is an ambitious man who wants to, you know, make something of himself. And provide something for, provide a legacy for his kid. He wants to create a toy that's so successful that his kids will never have to worry ever again. Which he eventually, actually, he ended up making and collaborating and making a whole whole theme park, which set them up for life. But but that's all he ever wanted was he wanted to make a name for himself and take care of his family. But but Drew, on the other hand, was he a doesn't really have many ambitions at all. He basically set up shop inside of Charlotte's life and just gave up and became self, In self-hating. Fact, during that episode where they flash back to when Drew and Stu were children, yeah. it showed that Drew was kind of a piece of shit, which is where Angelica gets her brattiness from. Right. Angelica has her mom's ambition and intelligence, which, again, if Charlotte had married someone, like maybe if they had switched husbands, maybe if she married Stu. Oh, and then Drew married Dee Dee? Oh yeah. my God! Well, that fuck Drew and Dee Dee, fuck them. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm saying, if Stu and um, Charlotte had ended up together, there might have been a chance because Stu's a very down to earth guy. Yeah. Um, that still, you know, loves his family and does all of this stuff. And, but I just, I feel like Charlotte was at least a good role model in general. Like, yeah, I would have, like, I would have totally understood if my mom had some toxic ideals back in the eighties. Cause I'd be like, they didn't really have this whole feminism thing figured out. Mm-mm. And only when I got older, I would have been like, okay, my mom had a lot of good points. Let's take that and expand on it. She was the kind of chick that would like, if you ever seen, um, American psycho, one of the themes in that is how people were just basically ignoring the fact that Patrick Bateman was talking about killing people all the time. Yeah. Charlotte was one of the chicks who worked in an, in an office that basically just ignored him because she was too busy doing cocaine to pay attention. Do you think Charlotte was doing cocaine? No, I don't think she was doing. I'm, I'm saying if she was in that movie, that's yeah, what she would the, be doing. The, the thing about Charlotte Pickles is I didn't I didn't really care much for her as a kid. But as I got older, I started like watching her and, you know, certain things. And I was like, you know what? I like this bitch. She's she has some fucked up ideas but because she's a little too aggressive as far as how she approaches people sometimes but generally speaking I actually like how she handles people mostly like the episode where she took the kids to see the dummy bears remember how Angelica manipulated that Italian food place into thinking that was the owner's daughter yeah yeah she wouldn't have done that. She, Angelica wouldn't have been able to do that if she wasn't smart. And she got that from she got that from Charlotte. She got Charlotte's fucking wit like that. Now let's talk really quick about the people who we believe are the best parents. Well, actually, let's uh, let's because we're gonna segue up. We have to first talk about Charles Fenster because he's like the second best parents in that. I oh think. yes, Charles Fenster. Yes. So Chucky's dad. I think the only thing wrong with Charles Fenster is the fact that he's neurotic. But the yes. reason he's neurotic was because he lost his wife very suddenly. Yeah. And. I think he was already a little bit nervous already and very anxious. And I think his wife probably brought the sunshine in his life and balanced him out to not be so afraid of things. And when he lost her, when Chucky was a baby, right. very suddenly, 
I think what happened to him is it just made him want to protect Chucky at all costs. Yes. And, and made point. him afraid of losing him. And Chucky began to reflect his father's neurotic behavior because Chucky didn't fully understand what the situation was with his family. He just knew that his mom wasn't around anymore and that his dad was afraid all I the always, time. Um, I always get a little choked up talking about this, actually, because their their situation is so sad. It's and a very sad situation. I mean, it, it always ends, it ends up happy. They get Kira, Kiara, and Kimmy. And, yeah. But, you know, just thinking about where they were in the show itself... It makes my heart break, truly, because I think I think Charles Finster is a great dad. Yeah. No, he's a very Chaz good dad. Chaz Charles. But yeah, Chaz, Chaz Finster. Chaz is a great dad. I, I think he is probably one of the best human characters in any cartoon. He's probably one of the best cartoon dads ever. You just want to hold even, him. You just want to like give him a hug. Even over Professor Utonium. I think Chaz Finster is the better. I thought it was pr- Professor Plutonium. No, you, no Utonium. Utonium. Right. Utonium. My brain switched it. Okay. Now, as far as the best parents in Rugrats, we've obviously segued up to the DeVilles. Yes. Now, Charles and I have an interesting theory about the DeVilles I think matches up very well. Yes. When you look at the DeVilles. And you look at the time that they grew up in. And you look at look at the era in which they, and first of all, it was very clear, I, in my opinion, that Betty DeVille was a lesbian. Yes. And I think Howard was gay. And yes. I think, because it is not just because their dynamics were different. It wasn't because she had the, you know, the. Um, she, she, she had the. She, anima. It, anima? I get anima. An, anima, anima, according to Young, anima is the male energy. She had more anima than Howard. And Howard had and more, more animus. animus but that wasn't anima. the reason I thought they were gay. It was just it was little clues throughout the show that. Yeah. If you're paying attention, you can kind of pick up on it. And I think they had a very evolved marriage. They did. I think what they did was they realized that, you know, being gay at that time and being open it, it, didn't it work. So I think they... And they both wanted children. And I don't know if they had sex to create the twins or if they got artificial insemination. It would actually make sense if they did do like some sort of like in vitro or whatever, how they ended up with twins. Could be. Could be. But uh, it looks like they were, you know, two people that had an arrangement um, and I think the only reason I think he's gay, too, is another reason is because I suspect she's a lesbian and I I think she genuinely loves him. And I don't think she would drag him along if he were straight as well. I think they have this amazing arrangement where they raise a family together because they both wanted a family. Yeah. And they couldn't really be out and about. And maybe they have like their own thing on the side. I don't know. But I think they have a very evolved marriage for the time. Sure. And when you look at all the kids, despite Phil and Lil's issue with eating bugs and gross stuff, they were pretty well adjusted kids. Yeah, like, They're the most emotionally stable of all of the babies in the crew. And, and, well, it may be. Well, actually, I wouldn't count Susie as a baby because she's the same age as Angelica. Susie's great, though. That's but that's I was going to say, actually, no. Phil and Lil, uh, the DeVilles are not just the best parents. we got to talk about the best parents of Rugrats, which are the Carmichaels. The Carmichael family. Okay, yeah, because I, I, I was in my brain forgetting about the Carmichaels because we were just talking about mostly the babies. Yeah. And Angelica. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're forgetting people. The Carmichaels, yeah. Now, the thing is, the DeVilles are great parents. I'm still putting them in that. Ca- Maybe let's tie them with the Carmichaels. because would tie them. They're, they're good for them. different reasons. Yeah. Now, Phil and Lil's parents also had really good jobs, and they obviously had a good thing. And their kids were smart enough to trick their parents with the bow thing. So, obviously, those kids got good brains. Yeah. But the Carmichaels. Right. First of all, I, I just want to, before we end this episode, I just want to point well, we out. Could, well, let's not worry about the hour mark because I okay. know we like, we, you know, we, we like to stop bit. at the hour mark, but sometimes ideas just need more time. First of all, let's talk about how the Carmichaels are one of the most, the one of the most positive representations of a black family in television history, history as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, the father works as a dummy bear creator. Yeah. What, she, what was his wife? She was a doctor, right? I believe she was a doctor. She was a doctor and studied it, as Didi pronounced it, Le Cordon Bleu. 
the the cooking school, the culinary school. Yeah. So she has culinary training. She's a doctor. He is a television writer or creator or like he, you know, he works with the dummy bears. Let's um, see. I'm I'm a hold up. Let me meet the Carmichaels. Okay, there's a Rugrats wiki we're reading off of. Yeah, just so we can get um, so we can get a. The pickles got new neighbors. The Carmichaels. Dee Dee meets Lucy, a doctor, and Stu chats with Randy, who works on the, the Dummy Bear Bears cartoons. cartoons. Tommy gets to know their youngest daughter, Susie. Will Tommy and Susie be able to find where her room is located in the Carmichael's new Okay, house? first of all, that that episode was really cute. Yeah. That that was really fucking cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because this whole this whole podcast episode is about rooms and the way that the Carmichael's are introduced was because about Susie's bedroom. Tommy was trying to help Susie find her. But, you know, because Susie, but Susie, the reason she had such a fit about her room is because she was so used to having such a well adjusted life that her family obviously respected her enough to give her a nice room that she was shocked she didn't have one yet. Now. We're not just talking about her parents either, because when you look at Susie's siblings, too, she has that older sister. What was her name? The older sister's name? Um, it's been a while. I need to rewatch this cartoon. Hmm, I'm not sure if it. Hold on. Okay. Uh, Elisa. Elisa, right? It might have been Elisa. That's the older sister. That took, yeah, yep. Elisa. So Elisa was such a good girl. She was just your standard teenage girl. She babysat her siblings. She was generally very good with the kids. Yeah. Um, the Buster, I think. No, Buster's their friend. Is Edwin... The, no, oh, Buster, Buster, oh, Buster's the one that was uh, involved with his friend Edwin yeah. doing that fucking monster prank. Oh, wait, no, Edwin's no, Edwin their sibling, too. Edwin was one too. of the kids, too. Oh, yeah, so they had Edwin and Buster. Edwin was this, like, intellectual kid. Right. Um, he was the kind of quieter boy, but very well-behaved and well-adjusted for the most part. Randy was the dad. Yep, you have um, Buster, who... Buster's really the only troublemaker, and he's not even that bad. He's just, like... He's middle school boy annoying, like... So they have four kids. They have Susie, Alyssa, Buster, and Edwin. And they're all really good kids. I mean, Buster, like I said, is a little bit of a dick, but he's a middle school and, like, between... He's, like, between 9 to 12. He's just, like, a... Yeah, he's just mischievous. He's just a pain in the ass. You know how boys are at that age? They're just annoying. Right. <laughs> like he's just, the kind of kid that looks like he would grow up being obsessed with, like, shoes and sneakers. I actually think and, he know. would get famous doing YouTube pranks. He, yeah, he's yeah, one he of those seems kids. like one of those kids that becomes yeah. like successful off of having fun. Yeah. Um, but th- there's I don't think any of the Carmichael kids would end up fucked up. Like the way the Carmichaels raise their kids. And I noticed like the Carmichaels were far more responsible with their kids. Sure, their kids snuck off, too, but not Accor- to the degree. According to this, here's a little of- bit of trivia. So this is the first time ever on Nickelodeon history that African-American black main characters are introduced at the script on a t- scripted television series on one of the original shows. Here's another one. Susie was the first regular African-American character on, uh, I think, on just the show. Right. OK. Another one is, um, let's see, the Carmichael family were all designed by Antoine um, Gillibaud. Gillibaud, I think it's, it's, it's French. It's a French name. Antoine Gillibaud. Also in. Susie Carmichael is a doctor, but it's revealed that she's also a successful pilot, chef, chef. and surgeon. Well, as I mentioned, she went to Le Cordon Bleu, which was a right. culinary school. So, like, she, the, the, we're talking about really successful. And this is also really important because they're not just a successful family. They're a, sex, a successful black family on television in the early 90s, which... Yeah. Like you never saw that ever. Up until that really. point, we had um, the, we had the Cosby Show. We had on, the Cosby Show, which Bill Cosby has ruined since. And, and that we wasn't had, a show before. We had the Banks family from um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, and we, they were an extreme case of successful. They weren't just like your standard suburban successful, like you know, yeah. 
like upper middle class, like the Carmichaels. And if you define your success beyond financial, you can even count the family from good times as successful because they were a family unit that was very loyal to each other. They were very loving and appreciative of everyone, no matter what the age was. Yeah, it was an that was an excellent show. You know, there's a, there's another character I want to talk about before we sign off. Uh, Timmy well, Turner. Timmy Turner. Oh, Timmy. The reason I bring up oh Tim. My God. The reason I bring up Timmy Turner is because Timmy didn't have like the coolest room in the world, but he had the most oblivious parents in the fucking world because he would have the standard suburban room. It's bluish gray. It's very fucking boring. It, it, it's very clearly an unloved kid's room and the thing or unattended kid's room. But here's the thing. He always had cool shit. And like his parents would be like, where are you getting all this cool shit? And he's just like, internet. Yeah. Like, and they're like, okay, how neglected do you have to be for your kid to be like, I got it from the internet for you to be like, cool. And just leave. Oh, you got to be extremely neglected, which Timmy was. Because my kid was like, if I saw my kid have like a rocket launcher, I'd be like, where in the fuck did you get that? I'd be like, internet, I'd be like, who's fucking money, bitch? <laughs> Speaking of Timmy's <laughs> neglectful ass parents, let's talk about that battering ram that they would use on his door every once in a oh, while. Oh, at least in that one episode. I think it was just a one episode thing. But yeah, he's like, and I'm respecting your privacy by knocking, but sort of asserting my authority as your parent by coming in anyway. Yeah. That Again, that takes us back to like a kid not feeling safe. When parents like say, I'm going to take your door or I'm going to just come in anyway, or it's my house and my room, as it takes me back to my initial statement. When you say to your kid, I do not respect your privacy, that is a ni- that is another way of saying I do not respect you as yeah. an individual human being. And as I mentioned before, kids are not property. They do not belong to you. You ha- you created them, yes, and it is your responsibility to care for them, but they are not your property. They are people. Yeah. And you cannot raise your kids into thinking that they're only people after they turn 18. You can't just suddenly turn into a sudden, quote unquote, human being over fucking night. A parent's job is not to manipulate a human child that they created into being a carbon copy of themselves or being a certain way in general that's impossible the job vicariously through them the job of a parent is to take care of a child as they navigate the complexity of of life in those early years you're supposed to be giving them the tools and even their whole life because you know even your dad still calls you and checks on you and my dad does too oh of course that's the thing it's like a kid is a lifelong commitment not just for 18 years and it's not a person that you can create to puppet to do certain things it's trying to raise them with the best guidance you have for them to make individual decisions for them to be a better human being every day so for example if you encourage your children to be like you know instead of yelling at them for like beating them or for spilling on the floor or something like that um be like you know people make mistakes it's okay to make mistakes by teaching them it's okay to make mistakes it makes them feel safe to go through life and try to figure things out on their own not be dependent on people giving them answers well said now um before we sign off i'd like to bring (laughs) up one last tv series and we've we've spoken a lot of nicktoon type shows in this episode so mostly adults women nickelodeon yeah yeah, we we can't leave this one out it's spongebob now, yeah. l- let me explain why SpongeBob is so important for the subject we're talking about. And for those who are listening at this point, because you're probably hearing a quick sip, like a, like a late quick sip. <laughs> um, this entire episode is about how characters' personal space in old TV shows, specifically old cartoons, were indicative of their character. SpongeBob is probably the biggest and one of the best examples of that. I love his house. If you look at SpongeBob's house, it's a pineapple. It's a pineapple inside. It looks like an adult man should live there, and technically one does, but 
it also feels like this adult man has a childlike sensibility to him, which one's Bob does. Now, here's something interesting before we go into the internal side of his house. You pointed out his house was a pineapple. Do you know what pineapples symbolize? What do pineapples symbolize? What, so, pine, pineapples symbolize from early, like, sailing things. Um, it's a sign of welcome. A lot of people would leave pineapples out on their gates to welcome sailors home. Wow. I didn't know that. And also, like, a red door also meant welcome. So, basically, for that same thing. So, pine, it, it shows right away he's a welcoming person. Right. That's that's a, that's a really good point. I'm going to look up SpongeBob's house right now. Well, it, you know, their external houses always represent it, like how Patrick lives under a rock. He's a fucking dipshit right, that lives yeah. under a rock. <laughs> like, well, you know, also, he's a starfish. So, you know. But still, it shows, like, their personalities in a way, Yeah, too. He, li- he lives under a rock, but it's indicative of, you know, SpongeBob is a starfish without a brain. I mean, so, so, SpongeBob is a sponge without a brain. I mean, Patrick is a, is, is, is a starfish without a brain. SpongeBob, I think SpongeBob has a brain. He's just, you know, a sponge. Um, So, you know, he absorbs everything in life so I think SpongeBob is just childlike. I don't think there's really anything wrong with him. I mean, he's a nice guy. He's just... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with Spon. I mean, there was that whole thing in the early 2000s that millennials were forced to deal with the bullshit of boomers saying that SpongeBob was gay because he was too friendly. Yeah, what the fuck is that? Like, you don't have to be gay or have anything to be, like... That generation going on with you to be nice. You could just be nice. That generation, and you can ask gay people from that generation. They had the worst understanding of sexual nuance, probably in the modern era, in the last century, of the people of the generation. There's a lot of like things they got wrong in that generation. They got a lot of shit wrong there, and one of them was SpongeBob being gay. That he wasn't gay. They also tried to say he's not even sexual. They also said he. They also were trying to say he was mentally challenged. Yeah, I heard that too. I'm like, what the? Because what his biggest dream was being a fry cook. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with him. It just means like some people have just more simple goals than others. Right. SpongeBob wanted to be the best at what he was passionate about. He was passionate about being a fry cook since he was a kid. Leave it to that to that generation of people to not have a good understanding of passion or career. They were like, there's something wrong with him. He's mentally challenged. He plays with bubbles and he's a grown ass man. Well, fucking bubbles are awesome. Also, he's a cartoon. Like, why do people have to why, make well, everything a thing? Like, yeah, it's not even that. Deep. Why does he have he's to be a- gay or mentally challenged or crazy or have anything to do with anything? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Exactly. Speaking of, speaking of Patrick's house, I mean Squidward's house. Oh, that's a very that's a fussy person's house right away. You Squidward can- lives in an Easter Island head. Then the head has the expression of someone who is extremely depressed and grumpy. And Squidward is extremely and depressed it has a unibrow and grumpy. like he does. Yes. Yeah. The inside of his house, it's a bunch of artsy type shit. Like, Squidward has these delusions that he is this artsy, brilliant musician. Real quick, I just noticed something. Yes. I used to play clarinet and band. If you look at the Easter Island head, it also is kind of shaped like the cap of a clarinet. Oh, it is. Wow. Like what goes over the reed to cover the bits. Right. You're right. It kind of looks like a clarinet cover or a clarinet mouthpiece. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's Squidward plays the clarinet all the time. Yeah, he plays the clarinet. He has he paints. He paints. He's he's directed movies. He's produced plays. And, and his art speaks for itself in his house because he wants to be bougie and all of these things. But the interesting thing about about Squidward is he sort of is like creative in the way that Adolf Hitler was creative with his paintings. It was two dimensional. It showed that somebody who didn't really have soul was trying to force themselves to look more artsy. What, what Lindsay's referring to was the fact that. It was actually it actually was revealed that Adolf Hitler psychologically could not perceive the third dimension. So when you look at his old painting, because people will be like, well, Adolf Hitler painted. You should look at some of his art. But when you look at his art, it doesn't look like anybody who actually sees 
the world. It looks like someone who is trying to pretend to be human. It's very yeah. flat. We're actually looking at Adolf Hitler's painting. It just looks right everything now. looks like a painting from like Snow White. It, it looks doesn't... like when you look at one of Adolf Hitler's paintings, you get this uncomfortable feeling in your brain, like there's something missing. You know, it's actually that was his favorite movie was Snow White. Was it? Yeah, and it kind of if you look at it, oh yeah, this kind of looks... looks like Snow White because that also took place in Germany. Yeah. So it kind of looks like Snow White's surroundings. Right. And, and, and he's his, just painting what he likes. That's all he knows. Like his painting, in all seriousness, his paintings weren't terrible, but they were certainly made by someone who was who was distraught and like messed up as a human being. It's lacking something, like some sort of depth of humanity. Yeah. Some sort of empathy or something. It just looks like somebody who's trying to pretend that they're human. Yeah. Like every single one of his like paintings. Like what they think humans would like. Every single one of his paintings lacks depth of field which is things that are farther away they have less the color is a bit faded and when you're thinking about paintings the color is a bit faded from things that are farther away than they, they are and it's kind of like squidward's paintings when you look at squidward's paintings they're either self-portraits or they're just boring ass shit like it's he's just about it's up, up, his, up, his, up his own ass he's just up his own ass but he's not really yeah. saying anything with his art which is like that episode where the artist yeah. Art, the art collector tried to buy his, uh, uh, Spongebob's art piece because it had actual soul and feel to it. Right. And Squidward couldn't understand why something that looked worse than his painting would be selling in the first place. It's, it's because Squidward's level of empathy is minimal versus Spongebob's, which is probably overactive. Let's talk point. about the person who has the best house in Spongebob. Sandy. Fucking Sandy Cheeks. Sandy Cheeks. That is the coolest. First of all, she has a way for sea critters to survive there after she realized they couldn't make it in her house. Yep. She figured out a way to make the door have water, and then when she opens it, it drains. Yep. She has a whole science lab inside of a fucking tree. Yep. She can hibernate in there and be completely safe from her surroundings. She figured out a way to survive underwater and have her friends survive in her house. Yeah. Like, Sandy was... Sandy's brilliant. She's one of my favorite characters on that fucking show. Interesting fact about Sandy. In the SpongeBob play that came out a number of years ago, Sandy Cheeks was played by a black woman. That's right, she and was. And a lot of black people identified with Sandy, partially because she was she was Southern, and she sounded like a Southern black person. That being said, in the play, the entire play's conflict is motivated by something that Sandy did. So basically it turns into a bunch of weirdly dressed, colorful looking white people screaming at the one black person in the town, <laughs> which is hilarious. I shouldn't laugh, but it's so fucked up because it's, it's true. It's so funny, but that it's oh, just a, it's one of those racist by accident moments. Yeah, I don't think that was intentional. But I that's don't just think <laughs> that's what they were trying to do, but that's what they ended up doing. <laughs> And I mean, I, I, I don't, like, I'm glad they had Sandy be black because that actually is really kind of cool, like that they made that work with that character and looks like the actress did a really good job. Right. But <laughs> I mean, the play made millions. I never saw it. That's <laughs> yeah, I never saw it, but it, it, it did really well. <laughs> Crazy. That ain't right, man. It's that not shit right. ain't right. It's not right. Then you, got, you know, you got Mr. Krabs, which is weird because Mr. Krabs is all about greed. But when you look at the inside of his house, it's like this is a this is a man who loves legacy. Like he's a family man. He has all these mementos that associate with his family. You know what I, you know what I noticed family. that we only touched they only touched on briefly about Mr. Krabs. Yeah, it was during that that hilarious episode where they have to paint his house. Yeah, or his living room. He collects dolls. Oh yeah, he does. He's like my dollarama. Right. And like he ha he collects dolls, and they never touch on that again. And I'm like, what? The thing is, always hear about Mr. Krabs is that he's a greedy bastard. There's not a lot of redeemable qualities about this old fucking crusty asshole. Yeah. He really is a crusty crab. Yeah. And 
I wish they had touched more on his sensitive side. The only thing we ever got from his, his sensitive side was immediately about money when he got obsessed with Mrs. Puff. Well, there was that and also Pearl herself. I wish they had touched more on that about how he ended up with a whale daughter. I mean, I know it was a cartoon, but like there's a whole fan theory about how like World, uh, Pearl was a whale that was her parents. Her mom was killed or something and he found her and adopted her. Yeah. Or that he like adopted her from a, a friend that died or something. Either way, like I wanted to hear more about his. Well, he was a crab, but his humanity like I because he really adored Pearl. Like she was a spoiled, annoying bitch sometimes. But like she wasn't a bad person. She was just really spoiled by her dad. Then across the street from the crusty the crusty crab, you have the chum, the bucket, chum bucket, which Plankton lives in the chum bucket is not only Plankton's restaurant is where he house. lives. He with owns his, that building with his robot wife, Karen. Yes. Now, which is, first of all, the only likable Karen I've ever seen. <laughs> no, Plankton, Plankton's wife is Karen. <laughs> first of all, that's so funny. First of all, Karen's one of my favorite characters on SpongeBob because it, she doesn't take shit from him. But here's the thing. Plankton spends the entire show saying his food sucks and his restaurant is failing. Well, you have a restaurant that's a bucket. And it's literally called the Chum Bucket. Who the fuck's going to want to eat there? Chum is literally made out of fish remains. Why would you open a fish remain Krusty based Krab already restaurant? Sound that appealing, but Chum yeah, Bucket? You're going to open up a fish remain based restaurant in a town primarily populated by fish. And it's also fish. one letter away from Cum Bucket. Gross. Like, right. who the fuck? He would have been, been better off then, calling it the Cum and Bucket. And then when you walk inside... It's very cold and soulless. Because the whole thing is just a restaurant built inside of a giant and it, lab. It's very indica- indicative to Plankton. He's all about science. He has no whole soul or feel to it, which is why his food is garbage. Like, when you cook food without love and it's all, like, just processed shit, it doesn't taste good. I always saw Plankton as the Mandark of Spongebob. He was, because he didn't get it. You look at Mandark, who also had a secret lab, but it was a lot more obvious because he was an idiot. Um, <laughs> I mean, he had, a death, he had a Death Star in his backyard. Like he, he We're not he talking a about a smart kid here. But, or, or subtle, for that matter. No, but Mandark's whole situation was very cold and lifeless and, and, and overly scientific, as was Plankton. Yeah, and, like, even Karen, who is a fucking robot, is just like, hey, stupid, befriend the SpongeBob and get the secret formula. Use your soul and <laughs> fucking be nice a little bit. Right. Like, Karen was smarter than Plankton. Yeah. And, like, he shut her off all the time. He was so disrespectful. I wish she had left him and, like dated someone better that's all i'm fucking saying karen if you're listening you can do better karen and plankton <laughs> remind me of that movie ex machina is if like oh yeah 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 if dude. the scientist from ex machina married the robot and she just talks shit at him for the rest of his life that first would be all, karen she, and first of all karen is way more badass than that robot was in my what opinion was her name? I, don't, I don't that's remember. your favorite movie how the fuck would i know i haven't seen it in a few years i gotta check it out <laughs> no but that's my point it's like karen was like one of the better characters on fucking spongebob yeah okay is there any other characters or any other shows you want to point out before we wrap up or you think we're good nope but my my closing notes would just be like this whole thing just boils down to making sure that you have a safe haven for yourself whether you're an adult or a child whether no matter what your living situation is whether you're living with your parents as an adult or you have your own apartment or you're a teenager or a kid living with your family everybody deserves a quiet space that reflects who they are that they can escape to that they can feel safe in because especially now in a world where it's very openly clear, we're not safe anytime. No. Um, no one is. Um, it's nice to have a safe place we can turn to, to hide at the end of the day, to make us feel like we could be secure and rest and yeah. just make give us a chance to just refuel for the next day. Fine. Uh, well said. That, and, that, and before, you know, I conclude. Yeah. Um, if, if, you know, if you are a parent 
or, you know, your child is listening, respect your child's privacy, respect your partner's privacy, respect the privacy of the people that you share a space with and let them have their space. You know, a healthy relationship, no matter romantic or otherwise, comes from boundaries and healthy space. All right. Okay. Final remarks from me. As I said earlier, the the idea of a home is a state of mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Make sure your child knows what it feels like to have a home because one day they'll have to make one themselves for their own family. Or even just themselves. And what in that state of mind specifically, what a home is, is a place that a person goes to feel safe. Yep. Is that all? That's it for me. All right, right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. And we love you and we appreciate all of your views. Yes. Yes. Thank you for the the views. And we're going to keep giving you more of these episodes as time goes on. And and, and, uh, yeah. (laughs) Very, very eloquent, Charles. Very well said. All right. See you all in the next one. Deuces. (laughs)